Well, I want to start this morning and start this um, series by administering a bit of a pop quiz. At school for some of us is just about a month away, and for other of us, parents, we're going to be sending kids to school. So I figured now is the time to begin to get us going. And so I want to administer a bit of a test, simple test, 15 questions. They're all yes, no answers. And it's a test for people who have smartphones. I know some of you have flip phones because you haven't joined the millennium yet. Uh, some of you, like me, have no phone whatsoever because you haven't even joined the 90s yet. Um, but um, I want to administer, if you have a smartphone, I'm going to ask you 15 questions, yes, no answers. I want you to keep track of how many yes answers you give. Just keep track in your head. You ready? 15 questions. Number one. Do you find yourself spending more time on your smartphone than you realize? Yes or no? Question two. Do you find yourself mindlessly passing time on a regular basis by staring at your smartphone? Question three. Do you seem to lose track of time when on your smartphone? Yes or no? Question four. Do you find yourself spending more time texting, tweeting, or email as opposed to talking to people in person? Question five. Has the amount of time you spend on your smartphone been increasing? Yes or no? Number six. Do you wish you could be a little less involved with your smartphone? Question seven. Do you sleep with your smartphone turned on, either under your pillow or next to your bed regularly? Question eight. Do you find yourself viewing and answering texts, tweets, and emails at all hours of the day and night, even when it means interrupting other things that you're doing? Yes or no? Nine. Do you text, email, or tweet, or surf while driving or doing similar activities that require your focused attention and concentration? Do you, number 10, do you use your, your smartphone do you, does, do you feel your use of your smartphone decreases your productivity at times? Question 11. Do you feel reluctant to be without your smartphone even for a short time? Yes or no? 12. Do you feel ill at ease or uncomfortable when you've accidentally leave your smartphone in the car or at home when you have no service or view of a broken phone? Question 13, when you eat meals, is your smartphone always part of the table place setting? Two more, when your smartphone rings, beeps, or buzzes, do you feel an intense urge to check for tweets, emails, uh, texts, e tweets, emails, updates, notifications, and so on? Last question, do you find yourself mindlessly checking your smartphone many times a day, even when you know there's likely nothing new or important to see? Yes or no? So I won't ask you to raise your hands. So I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I wonder how many of us answered yes or no to five or more of those statements. Because psychologists tell us that if you answered yes to more than five of those statements, your relationship with your phone is in an unhealthy, you have an unhealthy dependence on your smartphone that is either moving towards or has already become an addiction to your cell phone. Isn't that crazy? Some probably significant percentage of us are demonstrating addictive tendencies towards our cell phone. 
And I mentioned that this morning. This is where we start the series, Elephants in the Room, where we're going to talk about the big things in our lives that nobody seems to want to talk about. And we're starting the series talking about addiction. And the reason why I wanted to begin with that test is because my suspicion is that when I throw out the word addiction, many of the people in our community think I'm talking about somebody who's not them. You hear the word addiction, you think about the, the big ones. Right, like drugs and alcohol and gambling and sex and coffee, I think are the major, the major addictions. No, you know what I mean? Like the capital A clinical addictions where people who would identify as addicts actually need to go into recovery programs to be set free from them. Or maybe we think about some of the more offbeat addictions that we've heard about, right? Like pulling hair out of your body or drinking pee or eating Tide Pods or receiving coffee enemas, which all of those are real things. And you, you don't put yourself in the category of addict or having an addiction. And, and truth be told, there is a, di- a difference between a capital A clinical addiction and people who identify as addicts and should go into recovery programs to deal with those things and sort of small A addictive tendencies that we literally all demonstrate as I showed you with our quiz about the smartphones. And as a side note, because that's true, because most of us aren't, capital A addicted to anything, I would vote in favor of us eliminating the word addicted from our vocabulary, except when we refer to that. Like, I think it's time for us to stop saying, I'm addicted to that flavor of ice cream. Because no, you're not. And there are actually people who are genuinely addicted to things and out of respect for their dignity. We should probably stop making light of that idea by using it in such a frivolous way, kind of put it in the same bin as that's retarded and he's so gay. Like, those are things we don't say anymore. But the point is, even though many of us aren't, you know, addicts, self-identifies addicts with serious addictions that need recovery, my point in our point of having this conversation is pretty well all of us have small a addictive tendencies to things that we don't even realize we're quasi-addicted to. We all need this conversation. Three characteristics of addiction. This is what an addiction is, okay? By definition, it is any repeated use of a substance or activity despite the harm it can cause for the sake of the pleasure or value it provides. Any repeated use of a substance or activity that you gain pleasure or value from even though it could actually harm you. The three characteristics of addictive behavior are these. Number one is compulsion, kind of an obsession. You spend an inordinate amount of your waking time thinking about it, talking about it, engaging in it, being around people who engage in scheduling your life around it. The test I administered, by the way, developed by psychologists is called the smartphone compulsion test. How much is your life obsessed with this object? or substance, or whatever. There's compulsion. There's control, or lack of control. You have a hard time controlling your behavior. You have a hard time saying no to the behavior. In fact, it gets increasingly more difficult. You find yourself needing increasingly more of the substance or the activity, and you find it increasingly difficult to set reasonable limits, and you, you find that your, your life is being driven by 
the substance or activity more than you are driving it. Compulsion controlled number three, consequences. You continue to do it even though you are beginning to suffer consequences for it. You're creating relational problems. You're creating financial problems. You're creating legal problems. You're creating all sorts of problems, but it doesn't deter you from continuing to. If you smoke and have a major heart attack, there's a crazy percentage of people who continue to smoke despite the risk. That's an addictive behavior. And we all have them. Some of the addictive behaviors that we don't think about often are body addictions. Could you be addicted to working out, to exercise? You think about it all the time. Do you find yourself spending increasing amount of time doing it? Do you find yourself choosing to do it even when you're injured? Do you schedule your whole life around the opportunity to work out? Is it beginning to cost you in your relationships? Or, or even like just cosmetics and um, body image things. I think taking selfies, taking mirror selfies can be an addiction. What, what are you getting from this behavior of posting pictures of your best self online? You're looking for reaction, affirmation, right? Piercings and tattoos can become addictive. Cutting is addictive. There are sort of activity-based addictions. Could you be addicted to your work? You find yourself spending increasing hours, even to the detriment of your health and your relationships? Could you be addicted to shopping? You feel this inordinate compulsion to buy something, to order something from Amazon every single day. Online gaming. Are you spending increasing numbers of hours? Do you find it hard to walk away from your online video game? Are you, uh, this is another thing about loss of control. You give up on basic commitments like hygiene and eating and relationships and being with your family and stuff. Like, are you forgetting to eat because of your gaming? Porn is obviously an addictive behavior that can cost us at the level of health, cost us at the level of relationships. Bruxy talked about it a couple weeks ago. Social media, Jeff's going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, so I won't say too much, but social media sites are designed to be literally as psychologically addictive as crack. What about food-based addictions, both in the quantity, are you addicted to eating just because you have to do it all the time? Are you addicted to eating certain kinds of food, sugar or fast food? Are you addicted to not eating? Eating disorders are a form of addictive behavior. Do you see any of those tendencies in you? I'll tell you what my tendency is, and I'm, and I'm literally, honestly, seriously, sincerely confessing this to you. My addictive tendency isn't in any of the things that I've labeled so far. My addictive tendency is in reading, in learning, this compulsive desire to, to think constantly about when I can sit down with a book, when I can learn some more, it actually begins to uh, I schedule my life around opportunities to read. Um, it can interfere with my relationship with Krista, my relationship with my kids, because I'm choosing to do that in another room rather than being with my family. Like, and the reason that I find myself compelled to voraciously read is because, truth be told, internally, I'm afraid. 
I am afraid that I don't have enough information to be competent at the life that I'm being confronted with. That in my job, in my preaching, in my pastoring, in parenting, I'm afraid that I don't have enough information to successfully navigate life. And so I continue, I'm compelled to read. See, that's how addictive behaviors work, right? We use them as coping mechanisms so that we don't have to address a hurt or a pain or a fear or a trauma, uh, something that's going on inside of us that's uncomfortable. Because addictive behaviors, they're behaviors that we enjoy. And so when we engage in them, our brain releases this hormone called dopamine. It's part of the reward center of our brain. And our brain says, good for you. I like that activity. Do it again. And we log it in our brain and we kind of reach for it the next time we're actually in emotional pain. Right? So your boyfriend breaks up for you and you go home and you eat a tub of ice cream. And your brain says, I like eating ice cream. That felt good. And the good kind of overrides the pain. And for the moment, it feels better. But here's the problem. Your ice cream will run out before your pain does. Because you're not actually dealing with your pain. You're avoiding it by eating ice cream and feeling better. And so then you need another tub of ice cream. But your pain still isn't gone. So you need another tub of ice cream. And now... Addiction is born. Addiction is birthed out of the pain that we're avoiding, that we're trying to compensate for by doing something we enjoy. Right? And so uh, I, I spoke to an addict in our community a number of years ago when I was first kind of getting acquainted with the whole idea of addiction. And I said to him, I said, there seems to be a strong correlation between pain and addiction. And he looked me in the eye and he said to me, honestly, he said, there's only two things that differentiate between you and me. An experience of pain beyond your ability to cope and one bad decision about how you were going to deal with it. That's it. That's what addiction is. It's when we turn to something that isn't God to play the role that God should be playing in helping us navigate our life in a healthy way. So one of the most popular uh, and important stories in the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, is a story called the Exodus. Where, brief summary, after more than 400 years of slavery, God uses a prophet named Moses to miraculously lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He, all these, you know, these plagues of the parting of the Red Sea, you could read the story on your own time. Um, and God leads them, or Moses leads them with God's help into the wilderness where God miraculously feeds them with food and water in the middle of the desert. He leads them through the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai, where God miraculously and visibly, his presence comes down on the mountain and he gives them the Ten Commandments and he enters into a relationship with them. And then in Exodus 24, it says, he invites Moses up on the mountain and Moses goes and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. In Exodus 32, it says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother, and they said, come make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. The people come to Aaron and they say, listen, Moses is gone. We don't, the guy that we've been counting on this whole time, the guy that God has been using to be the miraculous presence in our midst, who's kept us fed and who's given us water and has guided us to this point and, and got us out of slavery. We don't know what's happened to him. And now we find ourselves in this situation that's terrifying. 
We're in the middle of the wilderness. We have no food, no water. We're exposed to animals on every side, enemies on every side. We don't know where we're going. Moses said we're going to the promised land. We don't know where the promised land is. We don't know how to get there. We don't know how we're going to get there. We don't, we're not equipped to fight wars along the way. Like, we're terrified. So make us a God that we can put our trust in. And so this is what Aaron says, verse two. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron and he took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Because they didn't know where Moses was, and they were terrified and they didn't know what to do next. And they didn't know how life was going to go and they didn't feel like they were prepared to face what was ahead of them. They go to Aaron and they say, make us a couple of gods that we could put our trust in. And so what Aaron does is he uses what they have have on hand to fashion for them gods that they can trust to get them out of this situation. And they end up being subservient to the gods. The gods end up controlling their lives. That's what addiction is and that's what addiction does. You feel terrible about yourself. You're insecure. You have body image issues. And so you think maybe if I start working out or maybe if I stop eating this kind of food, maybe I can turn my body into the kind of image that I am proud of. And so you start doing your thing and you lose two and five and 10 pounds and it feels great. And you start to think if I could only lose five pounds more. And so you work a little harder or you eat a little bit less and you think, After those five pounds, only five pounds more because I can still see a little bit of fat. My six, I only have a four pack, four and a half, five. Like I need to do a little bit more work, a little bit more work, a little bit. And all of a sudden you've lost control and you're addicted to exercise. You have an eating disorder because you have now become the slave of the thing that you have worshiped, which is your body image. You're dealing with grief. You feel life is hard and you feel sad and it's terrible. And you think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redecorate this whole room. And you go and you buy a bunch of furniture and you paint the room and you, you redecorate the whole thing. And it feels amazing to be in a new kind of space. And you think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this room and I'm going to buy stuff for that room. And I'm going to buy and I'm going to buy and I'm going to buy. And now shopping is how you're trying to fill the void despite the fact you can't afford all of this, and now you have become a slave to shopping. It has become the God that you're looking to to lead you through life. You uh, enjoy online gaming with your friends. And all of a sudden it dawns on you one day that as you're gaming, as you're spending time online, you're actually not having to deal with some very real stressful situations in your actual real life. And you think, maybe I'll spend just an hour more online. Or maybe, maybe I'll play in the mornings a little bit before. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll play. I don't have to be at school at time. And now, this escape from reality becomes the thing that is driving your life. Do you know people have died from gaming addictions? Because they've stopped eating. They refuse to get up to go to the bathroom. They make themselves very sick. And there are some folks who haven't recovered because they've become a slave to gaming. 
That's what addiction is. When I use something that is not God in order to deal with the pain in my life and I end up being a slave to that thing and doing tremendous damage to myself, to the people around me, to relationships and the whole nine yards. So what do we do about it? If we all have these tendencies and we all fall into it, what do we do about it? Well, following the model of the good folks at AA, which was started by Bill W., who was a devout Christian, and found ways to translate biblical principles into kind of common everyday language to talk about how to be freed from this stuff, I think there's two things we need to do in general. Number one, we have to acknowledge our problem. In James chapter five, it says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The healing begins with confession. Acknowledging that I have this problem. The AA step one begins with, with acknowledging that I have become powerless over this substance or this activity. Um, acknowledging that it now controls me rather than me controlling it. Acknowledging, if you're not a full-blown you know, addict, acknowledging that you tend to use these behaviors or these substances as a way of coping and dealing with the pain and the hurt in your life. The first thing is to confess it, to speak the truth about it. This is a problem for me. And not just about the substance or the activity, but to speak truth about the hurt and the pain itself. To say, I have an issue in here, whether it's pain, hurt, trauma, memory, fear, a relationship, whatever it is that's going on in here, this is something that I am avoiding dealing with by using this stuff. You have to learn to speak the truth about your situation. But they say it can't just stop with speaking the truth with confession. It has to move on to repentance. If confession is speaking the truth about it, repentance is changing your mind about it. Right? And so James says, first of all, James says, if you confess, confessing is what begins the journey to healing. He's talking to people who aren't well, people for whom on the inside or on the outside of their body, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And James says the journey towards wholeness and healing begins with speaking the truth in confession, but it doesn't end there. He says, you have to confess and you have to pray. What is prayer if it isn't putting God back in the center of your journey of dealing with life? Right? Um, Prayer is an act of dependence on God. If addiction begins because we've taken God out of the center of our story and we've put something else that we're going to depend on instead to get us through the pain and the hurt and the difficulty of this season, if, if addiction begins when we remove God from the center, healing begins when we put God back into the center. And we say, God, you know what? I'm never going to experience healing from this thing that's hurting inside of me unless you bring healing to me. Now, healing comes in a variety of modes. God can use friendships to heal. God can use contemplation to heal. God can use medicine. God can use therapy. God can use life group. God can, you know what I mean? Like God can use all sorts of modes to heal, but all healing only ever comes from God. If you're going to deal with this pain and this hurt, this trauma, this memory, this fear, if you're going to deal with what's going on inside, it has to be because you put God in the center, who's the one that brings the healing. And not just the healing to your hurt, but also the freedom from your addictive behavior. In Galatians 5, it says this, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. 
That to be inwardly strong, that inner strength that gives you mastery over your substance or activity, the thing you've lost control over, to be able to be master of your domain, as it were. (laughs) You can't do that on your own. The irony of the passage says the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Self-control doesn't come from the self. It comes from the spirit. You need the power of the spirit of God at work in your life in order for you to have the self-control to choose against the behavior. You need God to set you free. You have to acknowledge the things that have gone off track and gone broken. But then secondly, AA says, you have to address it. You have to address the inner stuff. We've talked about this a little bit. You have to address the hurt and the pain. You have to own it. You have to um, find someone that you can talk to. Friend, family, parent, child, life group, life group leader, location, pastor, counselor, doctor, Whatever the complexity, severity, and depth of the injury and the hurt, you have to match that with complexity, severity, and depth in how you address it. But you have to deal with the hurt and, AA says, you have to deal with the guilt and the shame of the addictive behaviors themselves. See, so much addiction is driven by guilt and shame. Right, the, the guilt we experience over having chosen those behaviors and the damage they do to everybody else and then the shame that we can't get freed from them. And what we need to discover, according to the good folks at AA, is that God is ultimately forgiving of everything. You need the higher power to surrender your will and to, to surrender your will to their care. And you need to believe that they will forgive all of your faults. Which is exactly what the Bible says about God. It says in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. If we confess the sins of looking to something other than God, if we confess the sins, if it was sin that created the hurt and the pain in the first place, if we confess those sins, if we confess the sins that we've sinned against ourselves and against other people in the damage our behavior has begun to create, if we confess those sins, AA says you have to do a searching and fearless inventory of your faults. If we just bring all of that junk to God, He'll forgive it all. And it says in 1 John, not only forgive it, purify us from unrighteousness in increasing ways, align our life to the path that God wants us walking in the first place. So we acknowledge through confession and repentance, we admit the problem and put God back in the center. And then we come to God for both healing and forgiveness of the stuff that's going on on the inside. But then we have to deal with the stuff on the outside. Which number one, is fixing the relationships we've broken, the people that we've hurt by our behavior. Um, In AA, they say that you gotta gotta list all the people you've sinned against and go and make amends. They're just saying what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, where he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're in, in worship on a Sunday morning, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying is within the community of faith, relationships are everything. They're the only thing. Literally the only thing that matters is relationships. They are more important than absolutely everything, including worship. 
And so Jesus says the top priority of your life is to absolutely put everything else on hold if you know that you have relationships that you need to bring reconciliation to. Make that your top priority. Do, Do whatever you need to do in order to make those relationships right. And we need to do that if we've been hurting people by our addictive behaviors and tendencies. But it's not just fixing the relationships it's setting boundaries on our lives first Corinthians 15 says don't be misled bad company corrupts good be good character we need to think about the external influences that are corrupting our choices that are making it harder for us to be set free from those addictive tendencies so who are the people that either trigger the hurt are responsible for the hurt or the people who are responsible for pressuring you into engaging the behavior. You need less of those people in your life. You know who you need more of? People who encourage healthy behaviors and who help you move towards healing and wholeness. You need more of those people. Such as people as places. Where are the places that you go that trigger the hurt and the pain that then tempt you to use? Um, Where are the places you go where you just know People are going to be doing the thing you need to separate yourself from. And you just don't be in those places anymore. And where are the places you could be that provide positive influences in self? And place, by the way, can include online. That's a space that we need to rethink our relationship to or work or uh, the gym or who are the people, where are the places? And then thirdly, what are the things we need to rethink our relationship with? You know, if you drink while listening to music or you smoke while drinking coffee, you have to change your relationship to music and coffee if you're going to get rid of the drinking and smoking. That's just how it works. What boundaries do you need to set around the use of your phone? What boundaries do you need to set around the groceries, the snacks that you bring into your house? What boundaries do you need to set around your access to sharp objects? There needs a boundary setting process. And then finally, having addressed the relationships and set the boundaries, we focus all of our attention on doing basically the thing that Jesus told us is the only thing we should be doing anyway. Matthew 22. I read these verses I was going to say too often, can't be. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says these are the only two things you need to know about what it looks like to live life in a healthy and whole kind of way. Love God and love people. So what do you need to do to pour gasoline on your love for God right now? Certainly being here in environments like this. Maybe it's worship music. Maybe it's Bible reading. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's podcasting. Maybe it's reading certain good books, right? Reading, right? Isn't that a great idea? Whatever it is you need to do to pour gasoline on your, being around the people who love God, volunteering in opportunities where you get to love people with the love of God. What do you need to do to pour gasoline on your love for God? And what do you need to do to pour gasoline on your love for other people? How can you be someone who just gives your life to serving people and according to AA, especially people who struggle with the same kind of stuff as you have as you become free from that stuff? Here's the thing. And the bottom line, this is the beginning, middle, and end. God wants to be the middle of your life. 
When we remove God from the center of our life, we find ourselves getting caught up in all sorts of stuff that we use to avoid our pain rather than addressing our pain and allowing God to bring healing to our pain. And we end up doing all sorts of destructive things because of the ways that we're avoiding our pain. God wants to be the one in the middle of our life, bringing healing to our pain, bringing freedom from our coping mechanisms and being at the end of the process, the source and the goal of everything that our life is about, loving him with all that we have and all that we are and allowing that to spill itself out in the way that we love other people as much as we love ourselves. That's the challenge, is to take a step back, to look at our life, to identify the ways that we are avoiding the healing that God wants to bring by trying to put something else in its place. And doing what we need to do to put God back in the center with the help of Christ. So that by the power of the spirit, we can live our lives fully loving God and loving people the way we were created to be. Which is the only path to health and wholeness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want nothing more and nothing other than to be the center of our lives. And God, there are people here this morning all across the spectrum, people who have just full-blown addictions that they've acknowledged and admitted, and I pray that you give them strength and courage for the journey of recovery. There are, God, there are people here this morning with full-blown addictions that have not been named and have not been repented of. People have been speaking into their life and they haven't yet been able to hear. Would you open hearts and minds to be able to see the truth that others have been urging them to recognize before they just blow their life apart. God, there are some here this morning who have tendencies, who are avoiding a deep pain in their spirit and are using shopping, exercise, porn, social media, whatever, to try and be a salve for the pain. Would you allow us to see the futility and the destructiveness of that? Would you open our minds, eyes, would you open the eyes of our spirit to see that you are with us in the midst of right where we are? The irony of the Israelites at Mount Sinai is that you were right there in their midst the whole time and they couldn't see it. Would you give us eyes to see you and the courage and the strength by your spirit because of Jesus to pour our lives into you. And would you be the agent of healing and change for each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.